masterpiece. Okay? And when we know who we are in God's eyes, regardless of how we feel about our past or present, if we hold on by faith to the truth of God's word and embrace what God has said about us, it motivates us to walk away from our past and walk away from our current struggles and into the works that God has for us. Remember, he said our behavior always flows from our identity. And this morning, we're going to continue in that into the passage, looking at our identity in Christ and how our behavior should be directed by that identity. I want to pray before we get started this morning. God, I just come before you thankful that we can gather here together and open your word, that we can study it, that we can learn from it, and we can apply it to our lives. God, I thank you that even these scriptures that were written years ago are still applicable today, that we can still apply them to our lives, and you can work through them. You can speak through them to us. God, I pray that I won't get in the way of what you have for each one of us. God, I pray that you would speak clearly to the hearts and people of the people here today. God, we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was about eight years old, my grandpa had a farm, okay? And one day, we didn't get to go there every day, but one day, my brother, he was jumping on the bed after being told not to. Apparently, he didn't hear the story of the three little monkeys jumping on the bed and the calamity that befell them, right? So he was jumping on the bed and broke his leg, all right? So I was eight years old, and I ended up at my grandparents' house, all right? And sorry, Kenrick, I really didn't care about your broken leg. I was just excited. I was at Grandpa's house. This was pre-Christ, people. This was pre-Christ, okay? I was selfish. But I ended up at my grandparents' house, and my grandpa, he used to bale wheat straw. And for those of you that aren't familiar with ag and, and farming, wheat straw is what happens when you harvest wheat in the grain, so there's straw that's left behind. He would bale it into small bales, and we would be able to load it on a trailer, take it to a shed, store it until he was able to sell it. Well, for an eight-year-old boy, it was heaven on earth. There was tractors. There were four-wheelers. There was all kinds of cool stuff, and my grandpa was awesome because he let us drive all of them, all of them. It didn't matter how old you were. You could be straight out of the walker and into a tractor. It was just fine. We loved it. So I was super excited. We're out there. We're picking up straw bales. And, you know, I'm eight years old. I'm doing my thing. I'm not picking up these straw bales. I may attempt to, but I'm just there for the good time, which is ride on everything. Okay? Well, I had the habit of getting distracted easily. Still happens now. I'll admit it. But I had the habit of getting distracted easily. So at some point, I remember... I got separated from everybody else. I was probably chasing a rabbit, thinking I pretending I was hunting it, something. I'm not sure what, but I got separated. And you can imagine the terror and the fear that gripped my heart when I looked up and saw the truck in the trailer pulling out of the field. <laughs> I was terrified. I can still remember running across this field. And the wheat straw that was only about 10 to 12 inches high, the wind rose, looked like mountains in front of me. And I was just running wide open, screaming and hollering. Did not want to be left out there. Okay? 
And I can still remember how I felt when one of my aunts looked and saw me and the truck stopped. I was found. Now, reality is they probably hollered for me a whole bunch, and then they got my attention by pulling out the field, <laughs> okay? But I remember thinking I was going to be left alone, separated from the people that cared about me, and I was terrified. So you've probably experienced something similar, maybe not to that extreme, but maybe your parents forgot you at a friend's house for a few extra hours, okay? Maybe overnight, hopefully not. Um, maybe you were at the store, and that aisle that your mom was going now was just not as interesting as three aisles over. And the next thing you know, you couldn't find your mom. The point is, we all remember a time when we felt lost, alone, and desperate. And that idea of separation is how Paul is going to open our passage today. Starting in verse 11, Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember... That at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been, bought, been brought near by the blood of Christ. So I want to start off by addressing the elephant in the room. So we're talking about circumcision this morning, right? In fact, if you have a question about that and you don't know what it is, I'd advise you to ask Pastor Jason when he gets back from vacation. <laughs> in all seriousness, I don't want us to get hung up on the word of circumcision. Simply put, what Paul's describing here is the physical difference of the Gentiles at that time from the Jews in the physical state of being uncircumcised or circumcised. And what we need to understand here is the distinction of being uncircumcised or the label of uncircumcision was a derogatory thing. And it pointed to a separation from God. Paul said in verse 13 that we were once far off our state of birth as Gentiles had us in a place far from God. And Paul is speaking directly to the Gentiles here. So let's get this straight. Sometimes we can get confused with these wordings. If you're here today and you're not a Jew, then he's speaking directly to you. We are the Gentiles. Also known as not Jews. And he's reminding the church to remember their previous state, okay? He said they remember, right? And that, just like my memory of being lost and alone in that field, that memory's not very good. It's not very good. The Gentiles, they didn't have a hope of a Messiah. They didn't even have much exposure to God in general. And there were all kinds of obstacles, like a painful surgery and following the rules of, and uh, laws of the Israelites. And even if they did all those things, they're still labeled as a Gentile. They're still going to be considered an outsider. Israel, on the other hand, they had the promise of a Messiah. They had the history of being God's chosen people. And at birth, through circumcision, they were brought into a covenant relationship with God. 
They were never considered outsiders just as a result of being born. Before Christ, we as Gentiles were separated from God. That's a terrible place and a terrible thought, right? So thank God for verse 13. Let's read that again. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, we were separated from God with no real hope, and then Jesus steps on the scene. Our merciful God sacrificed his only son so that we can have that same right relationship with God. And regardless of what you might hear in the world today, this verse describes our way to redemption and right relationship with God only through Jesus. It's the only way. And this is the foundation to the hope we have as Christians. Let's continue reading in verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Paul's talking here about Jews and Gentiles and the hostility between them being broken down through Jesus dying on the cross. God always had a special people, and now through Jesus, we all have access. We all have access to a right relationship with God. But I want you to notice here in verse 16 what God did. Notice the language. He said, God killed the hostility. It was so important and so serious that he killed it. See, that hostility had been going on for a long time. And now it was creeping into the church. The Jews and Gentiles, they had a lot of huge differences, and they even had some small petty differences. It ranged from diet differences, cultural differences, to the fact that the Jews had been God's chosen people and set apart from everyone else. Now they're trying to figure out, what, is, what does this look like? How do we come together over so many differences? See, Jesus had changed everything. He turned the world upside down because now there was no more, host there, there was no more hostility. There was no separation from God. Jesus was the way. And it's easy for me to read this and go, well, that was a long time ago. What does that have to do with us? Right? I'm just an old Georgia boy. What does that have to do with me? I want you to think about this. Don't we make distinctions like this in our lives? Think about Yankee, Southern. Redneck, blue collar. Baptist, Pentecostal. Ooh, that hit a little closer. Okay. Even today, we feel people, we make people feel separated and alone. And what did Jesus say about this? He killed the hostility, but what did he say we as outsiders previously are now? Let's continue reading verse 19. So then, 
You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him also you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul's continuing to paint the picture of who we were before Christ and who we are present day in Christ. And he's also adding here that we're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. See, we didn't get to be just like a third cousin in the kingdom of God. We didn't just get a view into the kingdom of God from the outside lawn through the window. We got to be a part of God's family because of the work that Jesus did. You see how important that is? Before, we didn't have that opportunity. We were always going to be considered outsiders. But now through Jesus, we get to be a part of the kingdom of God. See, Jesus preached peace to everyone. We have unity through Christ. And we all have access to God by the Spirit through Jesus. And Jesus is what holds this together. Notice he didn't say your traditions are holding this together. He didn't say, by your good works, this structure will be held together. It's through Jesus. We have a part to play in this, and we're going to get to that in a second. But Jesus is at the center of it. Jesus also says we are being built. Notice that. He didn't say we are built. So if you're here today and you're struggling, you're feeling defeated, this work is a redemption work. It's ongoing. And we are being built together for a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So how does this apply to our lives today? Verses 11 through 19 are describing who we are in Christ. And if you're in this room today and you claim to be a Christian, you need to know who you are. Not out of pride. Paul reminds us that we should remember where we were before Christ. And the painful reality that we lived in by being separated from God. And then what Jesus did for us by removing that separation and allowing us to be a part of God's people. That separation that he removed was causing us to be separated from God just by birth. Jesus removed that. So here's the idea I want to take away from this. Knowing and believing our identity in Christ drives our unity as Christ's followers. Knowing and believing our identity in Christ drives our unity as Christ's followers. This is a big part of my life testimony. So I remember as a young Christian, I used to feel so defeated, so discouraged, because I would strive with all my might to live this life that hopefully would gain God's favor. And I would get frustrated and depressed because guess what? I couldn't do it. I could not do it. And I knew God had grace for me, but I didn't see how God saw me. And over time, God did what he usually does, which is he was patient with me. And he started showing me things through scripture. And my motivation changed as a result of seeing that 
God knew who I was going to be. He knew who I was, and he knew who I'd been. And even though in all of that ugly stuff, God still loved me, and he still died on the cross for me. Right? He still loved me, even knowing all those things. So instead of serving God out of this hope of maybe one day gaining his affection, my motivation changed, and I want to love God to return my gratefulness through love and obedience and faithfulness to him. Not in perfection. I can't do that. I can't, I can't return my love through perfection. If you know me, I try to be really honest about who I am. One of the reasons that I do that is if you're going to be around me much, you're going to find out I'm a really broken person, right? And I want, if you, just, if you see anything good in me, I want you to know that it's Jesus, not me. Because without Jesus, I'm a pretty terrible human being. So I want to be honest. I'm not perfect. I'm not even close. I want you to see Jesus if there's anything good in me. So we've all experienced life separated from God. Some of us, if we're honest, are still in that place. And that's a pretty scary place, right? Just like when I was left alone in the field, that weight and that heaviness of being separated from God, it's a scary place. But thank God that's not the end of the story. God being so merciful and so gracious destroyed that separation through Jesus. And every one of us in the room that has experienced that redemption through Jesus knows what it feels like to be lost but then be found. To feel God removing that weight and that shame. God sacrificed his son Jesus so we don't have to feel that weight and that shame. I have a question for us today. If God, through his mercy, removed that weight and that shame, that dividing wall of hostility, do we as the church do unity well? If God's paved the path for us to do unity, do we as a church do unity well? Does the church in America abroad do unity well? See, I would say that as Americans, we don't do unity. We don't do unity at all. We do our own thing. We're Americans, right? <laughs> we do our own thing. So why, as a church, do we not do much better than that? I'm going to spend the next couple of minutes trying to illustrate that. I'll call Shane up here, if you will. He doesn't know exactly what we're going to do here, so this is going to be an experiment. Oh, you're good. All right. So, this is Shane Preston. As you see... Shane's a little bit different than me, okay? He's got this nice long hair. I've got none, okay? He's got this great beard. I've got like 25% of a beard if I'm just reaching for it, okay? He's got a nice tattoo there. I don't have any, I don't think, okay? He's got some different boots on than me, okay? So we've got some differences, right? But see, Shane, he's a fellow Christ follower. He's a fellow deacon. We've been able to work together. He's my friend. He's my mentor. So we're unified in Christ. We've got common points of unity. 
And with the work of Jesus, we're, we're following after Christ. We're continuing to pursue the kingdom of God. So even though we're very different, we're unified, right? But I thought we were talking about disunity and how it's so easy for it to happen. This table here is cleared because of the work of Christ. But what does life have the habit of doing? It does. It has the habit of taking ribs and giving them to us. Okay? It just has the habit of giving us bricks. See these right here? These are just plain bricks. Sometimes just general stuff can give us plain bricks. But I've got some bricks over here that are a little different. Let's see what we've got here. I wish I had some plastic bricks. These are really heavy. <laughs> All right. So, let's just say for an instance, for this illustration, that some jealousy comes between Shane and I. So how could that happen? Well, as I mentioned, Shane's got some really long hair. <laughs> he's, got, he's able to do cool things with it, okay? He can make a ponytail, a man bun. We can debate about that, whether that's cool later on, okay? But for right now, we're going to say that's super cool. I can't do any of that. Mine's falling out everywhere, and I'm only 28, guys. It's not fair. So we laugh about that, right? But isn't that how it happens a lot of times? Even petty differences get in the way of us being unified. I've got another brick here. Now, see, Shane and I, we're alike in this. We're both pretty blunt. And unintentionally, usually, we can hurt people's feelings. Just saying the truth in love, but sometimes not as graciously as we should. But let's say Shane says something to me that's true, but I get hurt by that. And I get angry, and I add another brick to the wall. How about this one? This one kind of goes along with anger, miscommunication. All right? So what happens if Shane says something to me that's true, and I hear it a little differently than he intended? But instead of talking to Shane and going, hey, that kind of hurt my feelings. I go, I know how he meant it. I know what he meant to tell me. And that's really hurtful. I can't believe he said that to me. And I add another brick to the wall. This one. This one's a tough one. Opinions. We all have opinions, right? I'm the world's worst. And for the sake of this illustration, let's just say that Shane and I disagree over the opinion of politics. That one strikes close to home, right? And let's say that Shane and I have a conversation and he believes one way and I believe another way. And let's just say that I say, Shane, I can't believe you will believe that way. I'm so right. How can you not see what I see? And I add another brick to the wall. Give Shane a hand. You see, before long, if I continue stacking these bricks, what happens? Yeah, I'm separated. I can't even see Shane. 
And that will be a real shame because he's such a pretty man. <laughs> you see, even petty, unimportant differences get in the way of us being unified in Christ. And it didn't happen all at once. It happened one brick at a time. And that's usually how it happens, not overnight. And we're too focused on our hurts, our differences, to see what once unified us in Christ. And see, unity and the consequences of disunity are catastrophic. It's separation from fellow Christ followers. It's hindrance to the work of God. And it's a terrible example of people that have experienced the separation from an almighty God and then through his great sacrifice have found unity with him and fellow believers. And now we dare to spit through pride and arrogance on that work that Jesus did and build that division back up between us and another fellow Christ follower? How dare we? And yet if we're honest, so often that's what we do. So today I just want us to sit in some of these questions. What do we do to add bricks to the walls of separation between us and other people? Where do we need to pursue peace instead of division? Church, God loved us enough to send his son Jesus to sacrifice his life so that we don't have to live separated from God and in an eternity of darkness. If you want to know more about this unity, if you haven't experienced it, there is a life that is free from this weight and shame and pain. I would encourage you, don't put it off. Talk to someone. Talk to someone that you trust. Maybe leave a connect card with a request for prayer, with a contact information. Talk to me. Talk to somebody else in the church that you trust. Let us know how we can help you. And if you're following Christ today, then I pray you will consider how can you pursue unity over division. Church, that's all I have for us today. I hope that this passage of Scripture challenged you and encouraged you as much as it did me. I appreciate your attention and your participation. Let's go and pursue Jesus and unity with each other, and let us know how we can help. Thank you.